3: Hello and welcome to the 62nd episode of the Jurassic Park podcast. I'm your host, Brad Jost, and we are here to discuss all things Jurassic Park. In this episode, we've got a little bit of news, a ton of listener emails and voicemails to catch up on, and a quick audio clip from a recent Bryce Dallas Howard interview. Now before we start, we've got a quick update on our Mattel video project. So far, we've gotten a bunch of great videos for the project. I love how you guys are showcasing your awesome collections, asking Mattel for inspired work, and letting them know just how much it means to you. Now, if you haven't submitted anything yet, you still have one week to do so. We are ending the submission period on August 15th, so make sure to get yours in by then. Remember, all you need is a cell phone to film, we aren't looking for any kind of big productions and you don't even need to be in the film yourself if you're not comfortable. All you gotta do is keep it clean and fun and we'll make sure to get you in the video. But enough about that, why don't we get things started off with a bit of Jurassic News from around the world.
1: 18 minutes and your company catches up on 10 years of research. Access me, program. Access security. These pictures were taken in hospital, on Costa Rica 48 hours ago. I don't want to jump to any conclusions, but look. People have been right all the time. But today, I guarantee it.
3: If you were looking forward to seeing Colin Trevorrow return to cinema with his new film, The Book of Henry, you're going to have to wait a little bit longer. Collins' directorial follow-up to Jurassic World was expected to hit theaters in limited release on September 16th, but it's now being pushed back to June 16th, 2017. The studio's hope is that the summer crowds will bring out more people, and especially those looking for an alternative to the typical summer popcorn flick. Now apparently the film has been testing really well, and many are expecting it to gain award attention. Hopefully the studio focus features, bet pays off here, and the film garners more attention next summer. You'll find a link to Variety's article in our show notes. So it looks like we are finally getting the last of the hybrid line from Hasbro. JP Carnator on Twitter came across the final batch, which includes the previously unreleased Terraminus, and the others like the Spinosaurus, Dilophosaurus, Carnoraptor, Dilophosaurus Rex, Stegosaurus, and the Armored Ankylosaurus and Indominus Rex. Furthermore, it looks like Entertainment Earth actually has the Indominus Rex hybrid available for pre-order with the intentions of an August ship date. Now, no actual date is present on their website, but let's hope it's actually August. That would be really awesome. Personally, I'll probably go for the Dilophosaurus with the coloring that's somewhat akin to the one from the original film, and then I'll probably get the Hybrid Indominus, which is the crazy one with the the reddish-orange coloring and the spikes on its back. Uh, Maybe even that Spinosaurus. I'm not too sure on that one yet. But I am pretty excited for that final pressing, and I do expect it to sell pretty well, as long as the stores hold enough stock, uh, which is probably pretty doubtful. To see more picks, head to the link in our show notes for J.P. Twitter, and also Entertainment Earth's Jurassic items. Jurassic Park in Concert has announced a few more dates, specifically those for German fans. On November 29th and 30th, you'll find the showings in Munich, Germany, December 1st in Nuremberg, Germany, and December 5th in Stuttgart, Germany. Hopefully those showings are somewhat close to our German listeners, and uh, dates keep popping up for the concert experience, so head to the link in our show notes to see more and to get your tickets. You're supposed to be a genius or something. I can't get Jurassic Park back online without Dennis Nedry. Incorporating all the latest
1: technologies.
2: We shouldn't be here. There's five dinosaurs.
3: How many Sarahs do you think are on this island? Over the past few weeks, we've collected a lot of emails and voicemails, so let's get right into them. This first one is an email from Kat via our website. Let's check it out. Absolutely loved your episode 59 about JP, the theme park. Thank you for focusing on theme parks in depth. Really appreciated every bit of it. Hey, something that has always bothered me about the original film when I saw it in theaters was when Hammond says, when Disneyland opened in 1956. We all know Disneyland opened in 1955. Why the mistake? At the time, my group absolutely did not think it was purposefully put in there to show that Hammond was out of touch, but that the screenwriters had made a mistake that no one had caught which shocked all of us. How could all the proofers miss something so important? Well, so important to those of us who are Disney aficionados at the time. Maybe nobody else really cared, but it still bothers me to this day. Hey, Kat, thanks so much for the love on episode 59. Chris and I certainly love putting together those episodes, and uh, there's plenty more theme park episodes coming down the pipeline. As for that Hammond quote, I have no real great answer here. Um, From my research, I couldn't find a logical explanation as to why it was done. I actually have considered a, a few things here and two of them specifically. Number one, I assume it was Hammond being out of touch like you had said. Throughout the film, Hamid is, is not really in touch with many of the things throughout the movie. He's, uh, he's definitely not a good judge of character like he says he is. He chooses Nedry first off. He thinks next time it will be flawless, which, you know, he says while well, people are dying throughout the park. And I guess he just made a mistake about the opening date of Disneyland. It happens. You know, maybe it was a mistake, but maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Maybe it was actually a mistake in the script writing. Who knows? Secondly, I think uh, I chalk it up to maybe a bit of a jab by Universal. Universal, of course, had two theme parks open by the time the film was created. So maybe it was just a comment to poke fun at their competition. I don't know. Um, but, you know, they knew it was something that would bug us Disney fans to no end. If anybody else out there has a theory or an answer, reach out to us and let us know because that's all I got. Thanks again, Kat. This one here is an MP3 sent in
4: via email from Jeff. Let's check it out. Hi, this is Jeff DePaul here from the Disney Coast to Coast podcast, which you can find at DisneyCoast to Coast.com. And uh, I've recently found your podcast and I really enjoy it very much. The Jurassic Park podcast, quite fun. And of course, I'm a huge Disney fan considering I have a Disney podcast, but there's several other things I love just as much as Disney. And one of them is Jurassic Park. And since I can't talk about it on my show, I thought I would uh, send this in to you because I had some thoughts on a recent episode of yours. So hopefully I can get my. Uh, Jurassic Park obsession out of my system this way, since I can't talk about it on my show. But in any case, what I'm referring to is from episode 59, so this is a few weeks back, and I was listening, and this was the episode that was all about bringing the, uh, whether or not Jurassic Park, the theme park, could exist in real life. And of course, you guys made some great points, you and your guest made great points on the show, but there were a few times that uh, I, I had thoughts of my own that I thought you might like to hear, so... Here we go. Um, first off, the lab tour you were talking about. This is the scene where they're showing the film about how Jurassic Park is made with Mr. DNA and all that. And you had brought up the fact that you know the, the uh, plausibility of John Hammond being able to be present at each of these films is, is not very plausible. And you're right, it's not. This is, the of course, the part where John Hammond uh, pricks his finger with the needle, and he, he's the real John Hammond is interacting with the John Hammond on the screen. And this actually, this always bothered me for a long time as well, and I came up with a couple of thoughts as to why this might, uh, why this might not be as unplausible as we think. Um, and here's my reasoning anyway. It helps me sleep better at night, maybe it'll help you as well, but the, uh... Uh, first of all i'm thinking maybe it wouldn't be john hammond there maybe it would be an audio animatronic figure of john hammond which honestly i don't think is that crazy of an idea i feel like john hammond has a big enough ego that like he would create an animatronic version of himself for this attraction so i that's one option uh the second one which i actually think is more realistic is that Although this film, which uh, this film attraction, which you um, compared to the Carousel of Progress at Walt Disney World, which just so happens to be one of my favorite Walt Disney World attractions, uh, but in any case, um, I I was thinking that, yeah, this film was created for the theme park, but I feel like it's very realistic that perhaps sections of this film, including that opening portion with John Hammond interacting with himself, was actually just for the sake of... Of that weekend pitch that he was giving to uh, all of the characters in the film, so you know it's it 's not unheard of by any means that companies spend a lot of money putting together presentations to pitch to investors or or experts in a certain industry so i that 's kind of how I interpret it at this point i I feel like it was a sales pitch film made specifically for that purpose and tagged on to the beginning of the film that all of the park guests would see so that's what makes sense to me um i'd be curious to hear what you think of that maybe you agree or disagree but i think that that's more plausible than john hammond attending each film for sure uh, so that was one of the thoughts another thing that you had mentioned with your guest was uh john hammond when he says that uh, the voice you're hearing is richard kiley well that moment um I, you know, you guys were talking as if you you had spoken and said that, you know, you can't believe that John Hammond would be available to say that every time or or uh, or anything like that, and then you were caught in a conversation. Maybe he would. Maybe he's crazy enough that he would do that. Well, I actually think it's interesting that you interpreted it that way because I never uh, ever thought of it that way. I never thought that that was part of the normal tour to me the way that i always saw it, and the way that i th- uh, what i think they were going for is actually the fact that this was just like an emergency intercom system like we're used to with any ride that exists out there um you know there's always the onboard sound system so if the ride breaks down or stops for some reason uh, a cast member or employee will get on and and let the the rider or the guest know um that's all that that was in my opinion and I think that John Hammond was just having a little fun, you know. He he knew the people in in this tour. So he thought he'd just take a moment and p- kind of like point out a fun fact. So it's kind of like as if he was a tour guide of some sort. Um, but this was like very specific for that moment and that purpose. I don't think by any means they were insisting that they would actually have somebody point these things out. In fact, that's what the Richard Kiley voice was for, right? That voice that they have giving all the facts that's what would be part of every tour and of course that's pre-recorded so um yeah i definitely think that that's what they were going with there uh let's see what else there was a moment um where your guest said people still would have seen it as a complete success because it was walt disney and you were talking about opening day of disneyland and um and all of the disasters that went on there. And, and that's what prompted him to say, people still would have seen it as a complete success because it was Walt Disney. Just a little correction, that, that actually, Disneyland was predicted to be a giant failure. Um, the press especially did not, they called it Walt's Folly. And Disneyland was supposed to be a failure if you really looked at the breakdown of it. And I, so I actually just don't think that that's a very fair statement that it, it was a success because of Walt Disney. Um, a lot of things that he made at his time ended up not being huge successes like fantasia for instance and then years later of course it becomes a classic and eventually reaps its money back but uh in the initial run uh it didn't at all uh, disneyland was not that case it was a huge success uh, early on even with all of the problems that they had but yeah just wanted to point that out and um another comment that was made it uh, on the on your podcast was about the you know the fact that when the power went on at Jurassic Park, the entire park shut down. And I think you said something like, if one thing goes wrong, the whole place is screwed. And you were talking um, about like how a Disneyland that was different because like it's par- if Pirates of the Caribbean shuts down, Haunted Mansion's still open. And you're correct, in most cases that is true. But I think like if you really look at the disaster that Jurassic Park had where it essentially lost all power. If that were to happen at Disneyland, which I think is is probably a hard thing to happen I'm sure they have many uh, backup systems and stuff but let's just say if we're going to make a comparison to Jurassic Park where they lost all the power uh if that happened at Disneyland everything would shut down as well so you know pirates wouldn't be open but neither would Haunted Mansion if if the entire park lost power like Jurassic Park did so in any case those were just a few things I wanted to point out from your episode I really really enjoyed it and I've been enjoying them for a couple months now I found you probably about a month and a half two months ago so so keep up the great work and I actually have a question for you because this has always bothered me and I'm curious your take on this uh, where in Jurassic Park John Hammond actually says he says when Disneyland opened in 1956 and this always drove me crazy because Disneyland opened on July 17th 1955 so my question is this I've always wondered do you think that this was a deliberate mistake kind of showing like that John Hammond didn't know what he was talking about Or do you think that this was a screenwriting mistake and that nobody caught it? Which I kind of find hard to believe. I can't believe nobody... Uh, who's read the script, was like, I don't know, it actually opened in 1955, but it seems to be a weird choice for a character flaw as well, so I'm not sure which direction I feel, but I am kind of curious to hear what you think about John Hammond mentioning Disneyland opening in 1956 versus the actual date in 1955. In any case, thanks for uh, taking a listen to this, and uh, hopefully you find it interesting or enjoyable and keep up the great work thanks
3: awesome voicemail jeff thank you so much for taking the time to record that and send it over i am a huge disney fanatic so i certainly don't mind talking about it and comparing it to certain aspects of the jurassic series we'll definitely have to talk about more of this uh off the air sometime But in the meantime, let's go over a few things that you uh, mentioned in your voicemail. For the tour, I totally agree. John certainly had an ego, and I I think it wouldn't be surprising for him to throw an animatronic in there. Um, Aside from his comment during the lab lab sequence when he says, we have no animatronics here. Maybe he was just talking about that lab, and not specifically elsewhere throughout the parks. But but I think that they were trying to get across to the public that this... That this park is real everything you can see you can touch and uh animatronics would kind of just confuse the guests so i'm not really sure if that's the route they were going for for your other point about that uh about that scene i think many would agree with you that it was intended to be a sales pitch and maybe wouldn't have actually presented to the the park guests, but I'm not sold on that theory. Like I said before, I've heard so many people bring up this point before, so maybe there's actually some sort of credence to it. In my opinion, I think it says more about John just having to have his hands in every aspect of this park but um, maybe in a different case, maybe they actually film different openings with other employees. That would be plausible too. And uh, actually, I was just watching it back and uh, I wanted to point out something pretty funny. After he does his little uh, cloning spiel at the beginning of the, the show, he sits down and he has a remote in his hand that closes the lap bars to begin the tour. I thought that was a really funny, like interesting touch. It was very strange. You don't really see that kind of thing in theme parks. Moving on to that uh, Richard Kiley bit, I think it's important to point out the way the film frames this scene. Now, first off, we are entering the gate, you know, the big giant Jurassic Park gate. We hear a bit of information about the touchscreen and some other things, and then that iconic welcome to Jurassic Park, which we've already heard John say earlier in the film, but this time it comes from that Richard Kylie voice. Then it skips back to John in the command center saying, the voice you are hearing is Richard Kylie, we've spared no expense. You know, then it skips back to the vehicles and you hear that that Kiley, uh, Richard Kiley voice again. Now, from my perspective, the film, it looks like they're directly saying that John is speaking those words. Uh, maybe he's not, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I think it's being framed that way as if he's the voice, he's that Richard Kylie voice and there's maybe some sort of weird voice changer. It sounds absolutely crazy, it's not too implausible, though, because we do see that kind of stuff throughout Parks today. But like I said in the episode earlier, you know, it would be nuts for him to sit there and do this every time. But maybe you're right. Maybe it wasn't supposed to be Richard Kylie speaking in that segment that John spoke. Um, now, follow me here for a second. Maybe it was supposed to be Kylie Ki- talking earlier and then John interrupting because like I said, he has to have his hands in everything. So he lets Kylie speak, and then he speaks, and then Kylie comes back in to do the rest of the tour. I don't know, I think it's it's really up for interpretation and I'd love to hear what others think about that moment. Now let's turn back to Walt for a second. I'm gonna actually stick by my guest statement and say that no matter what Walt did, it would have been a success. Now It's a general statement. So let's take a look at a few things. While many in the industry, you know, like you said, they dubbed it Walt's Folly, they also had no clue what he was trying to produce. A theme park was not something that was, you know, prevalent back then. They were comparing it to something of a run-of-the-mill amusement park. Now, certainly people in the industry and those towns that he was looking to build it thought he was going to bring this weird, you know, carny atmosphere to it. So they weren't exactly expecting what he actually brought to the table. Now, I think Walt's folly was due to Walt pouring literally every cent he had into this project, whether it was his money or not. Uh, Much like he did with Snow White back then, uh, nearly 20 years earlier, people dubbed it Disney's Folly. Now, we all know how that film turned out. Uh, pretty good. It was It was actually one of the, the most grossing movies of its time. Now, when it comes to the general public, people were clamoring for this park. You know, people loved Walt, like I said, and basically everything he did, even though not everything he did was a financial success. Uh, many of his films actually had poor showings like you mentioned with Fantasia, but a lot of that was due to uh, World War II, so that's not exactly a fair assessment of the times. But, in another case, when millions of people are tuning in to preview the park on television and also watching things like Davy Crockett and then and then having over 28,000 people show up to opening day, I'd say it was kind of a predetermined success. Sorry, I, I really like Disney stuff too. <laughs> now actually, going back to the, the Disneyland versus uh, Jurassic stuff, Uh, As for the power going down, and yes, it's true, the power did just actually go out in Disneyland shortly after Chris and I had our conversation in episode 59 and right after I received your email, so it's super crazy timing, but luckily Disney has a great power grid and backup generators because their power really only went out for a few seconds and uh, didn't really affect too much. Now, in our episode, I was mostly referring to typical downtime of a ride, not power outages. I think um, that's something that Hammond and their team didn't really plan well for because one bug just took down the entire park everything all the fences all the doors all the locks everything that really shouldn't happen now your last question was funnily brought up in another email which you just heard so uh, it's great to hear that so many of our listeners are, are on the same page and notice these little things throughout the film now hopefully I answered it well enough in that previous email um, like I said I just chalk it up to John being completely inept as he was with most of the theme park aspects in the movie Anyway, thanks again for calling out all those different points, and I definitely appreciate when listeners and Jurassic fans bring a different take. You know, most of the time we tend to look at things from our own individual perspectives and never take in those alternative views that others view it from. Thank you so much for that alternative take, Jeff, and I uh, hope to hear from you again soon. The next one is actually another voicemail. This one is from Sickle Claw. Let's take a listen.
1: Hey, hello. This is Sickle Claw from Twitter. And then we call, it mentioned about. The, um, New Mattel toys that were recently discovered by a guy on Twitter. Well, I'm just calling it say th- I thought they were pretty bad actually. And uh, if this signals the uh, end of Hasbro's making a Jurassic Park toys, then they're moving up the Lexus was probably for the best. I can only hope the Mattel will do better. Have you seen the video by Matthew Brando that's making the rounds, Is he advertising on your channel? Um, Dev has a good idea, and then maybe we'll help Mattel figure out a direction to go in the Jurassic Park um, toy line. Anyway, I hope the Mattel line is better. And thank you for listening. Bye. Thanks
3: a ton, dude, for calling in, and I totally agree with you. I wasn't too impressed with that final release of uh, Hybrids from the Hasbro line there. The thing is, I'm not necessarily a fan of crazy coloring of dinosaurs. So I was never a fan of lines like the Chaos Effect one. Uh, this line, it doesn't really do it for me. I know all the hybrids are the rage right now with the toys and the games but I really hope Mattel pulls the focus back to more realistic depictions. Now you mentioned Matt Brando and uh, he certainly had some amazing ideas for the new toy line. I really, really enjoyed his video. So of course, like everybody else, I'm really hoping they follow along the lines with what all of us fans are looking for because I think that's the key to selling more product. I'm sure they've seen all the outrage and will do the best they can to fix any prior issues. But uh, thanks again for the call, man, and I hope to hear from you again soon. Next up, we have a voicemail from regular caller Justice Steele. Let's check it out.
1: On, man, This is uh, Justice Steele. I know it's been a while, but uh, I just found out today about the fact of uh, <coughs> excuse me, Hasbro losing the rights to the Jurassic World, Jurassic Park toy line, and it's now been given to Mattel. I know I'm kind of late to the party, but uh, I guess it's better to be late than never. But when I heard that, I had a question about coming to mind I just had to ask. So my question is, do you think that Mattel... With um, along with making Jurassic World 2 figurines, do you think that Mattel will do a re-release of the original Jurassic Park, Lost World Jurassic Park, and maybe even Jurassic Park 3 figure line? I know some people have speculated about it. They think it would be a good idea. But do you think that Mattel will, along with Jurassic World 2 figurines, do a re-release of the Jurassic... Park Lost World and Jurassic Park 3 figures and bring it back to the <clears throat> kids today and show them um, how great those toys were because I, I still remember to the other day when I got my first Jurassic Park T-Rex and I absolutely loved that thing I'm, I kind of wish I would have not gotten rid of it when I was um, younger but I did and I kind of hate myself for it now but that I can do I'm, I'll probably end up getting one soon but that was my question do you think that Mattel We'll do a re-release of the original Jurassic Park Lost World and JP three figurines. All right, thank you, man. Have a good day.
3: Bye. I just got to call out Justice Steele here for a second. He's always consistently calling in, so thank you very much, dude. I really appreciate it. As for your question, will they release prior lines? You know, I'm not too sure, but but uh, they'd be certainly stupid not to. So many of us fans are looking for a re-release of prior characters and dinosaurs, so I'm sure they are at least looking into it. Now, if they did, it would certainly be different than what we've seen before and certainly wouldn't be the same sculpts. And uh, I think I'd be okay with that though. If they updated these figures, made them look a little bit more realistic to their film counterparts, I would absolutely love that. But for now, we'll just have to wait and see, but you know what? I'd be positive that they'd sell like crazy, maybe even more than what Jurassic World toys would do. I bet you if we pulled everybody, they'd probably say the same thing. Thanks again for the call, man, and we'll talk to you again soon. Here, we have a call from Wyatt. Let's take a listen.
2: I've been contacting you guys on Twitter um, about having um, a shout-out on your guys' podcast. I would really enjoy a uh, shout-out. I'm struggling on my channel. um, You guys have been through me um, for a while now, and uh, I would really just enjoy um, a shout-out. And if you guys have any merchandise please send them near, I'll give you guys a great shout out on my channel, and also do a review of the products you guys send me, it doesn't have to be a key for a product, and, uh, yeah, thank you guys for that, if you do give me a shout out on your, um, Drastic Park podcast, my channel is Wyatt Labrum, I am, Wyatt Labrum, It'll, it's just Wyatt Labrum all together, and, um, yeah, thank you guys, and, uh, yeah,
3: Dude, of course I'll give you a shout out. You've been a listener for so long now and I'm really glad to let others know about your YouTube channel. Everybody listening, make sure you go check out Wyatt's stuff. All you gotta do is search for Wyatt Labram on YouTube and you'll find it. Thanks again for the call, dude. Here's a submission via our website from Silvio. Hello dear friends, what is your position about hybrids? I'm a fan of JP since 1993 and I really hate this idea. Indominus Rex, okay. But I'm afraid. What do you guys think about creating the hashtag? Hashtag no hybrids. I'm afraid of unreal dinos in Jurassic World 2. Dino monsters, theropods with wings, and all this madness. Let's make this. Great message, Silvio. You know, I agree with you to a certain extent. I really don't want to see them go overboard like you mentioned but you know what I'm okay with hybrids as a concept for the films. So let's go back to the beginning for a second. Now these things have always been about hybrids. Now yes they have been simple hybrids you know by combining them with things like frogs effectively creating the drama from the first film. But uh, even back further, back to the original book, Dr. Wu talked about creating different versions of dinosaurs. And uh, the book even had a chameleon raptor. Now, really from the start, these things have been monsters and uh, it's really hasn't changed. You know, Back from the first film, they've been monsters. So I'm perfectly fine with the concept of hybrids. But like you, I will say that I'm afraid of how far it may go. But I do have faith in the crew that is making the film. Most of the hybrid stuff that we're seeing currently is in the toy lines and it directly ties into the mobile game and the game is a much different beast than what we have in the films. You know I think we'll be fine, I'm gonna love probably whatever they put on the screen for the next film. Uh, Hopefully that helps calm your nerves a bit Silvio but thanks again for sending in your thoughts. Here's another one from our website and uh, it's from Paul. I for one am glad to see Hasbro getting the boot. Their Jurassic World offerings were awful, cheaply made garbage, if it wasn't for Hasbro name tag. I. Would have thought these were cheap Chinese knockoffs. NECA or even SH Monster Arts would make a better product I'd be willing to spend money on. I'm not even too sure about Mattel, as their quality seems bad if not worse than Hasbro's. It's sad when the best JP-related toys were the diecast and RC cars released by Jada Toys. Hey, Paul, I feel for you. You know, I know how you feel, man. The past line was actually actually not even the past line. The past 16 plus years have been a bit frustrating in the toy department. But really, I think most of our frustration stems from how spoiled we were uh, during Kenner's run. You know, it was pretty great. So anything else seems to be subpar. I would say though that uh, Mattel has some pretty cool stuff out there on the market right now. You know, they've got good packaging and uh, I'm certainly interested to see what they do along those lines. For now, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt. And uh, especially since we were talking about the Jurassic Park franchise. You know, this series is one of the biggest franchises of all time. So I had to think that Mattel would treat it that way. I, for one, am certainly excited for what's to come. But I definitely hope we still get high quality diecast stuff and expand those lines as well. Anyway, thanks again, Paul, for the message and hope to hear from you again soon. Well, that's a wrap for our listener segment this week. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in voicemails or emails. I really appreciate it, and I love taking the time to kind of go through them each and every week. If you have something you want to send in, like an MP3, like Jeff did, you can send it to Pod at gmail.com. If you want to interact with us directly via our website, you can head there and fill out our website contact form. If you actually want to just give us a call, you can call our voicemail line and leave us a message. That number is 732 732- 825-7763.
4: Hold your fire, do not fire.
1: God creates man. Man destroys God. Man creates dinosaurs. Boy, we hate being right all the time?
3: We're gonna have to drop the chance! Are you ready? One, two. In the audio segment this week, we actually have a quick clip from Bryce Dallas Howard where she chatted with a radio show about her upcoming film Pete's Dragon. But of course, they had to ask her a few questions about Jurassic World. Take a listen.
0: I wanted to know, how did you do all the things in Jurassic World in your heels? Yeah. Well, when you shoot it, it's not like a play. Right. So it's not, <laughs> you know, it's not, it doesn't happen all at once. Right, right, right. <laughs> you can cut. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and give yourself a little foot massage. Okay. And, and put Band-Aids on for blisters yeah. okay. and start again. Um, I mean, it was just, uh, weirdly enough, it was easier than I thought. You just run on your tippy toes. Right. Which is that's when you're sprinting. That's kinda what you're supposed to do anyway. And so. I heard that they're doing a doing a sequel. Yes, yes. Do you have a name for it? Do we can we get the name? I don't think I there is a name, but okay, I don't think I can can't say tell what the name. Darn oh, it! Oh, yeah. I'm always trying to get the scoop for you guys listening. Yeah. I know, you know? So I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Are you gonna be in heels again? You're gonna be running around in heels? Again? Nope. <laughs> no, <Okay>. no. <laughs> nope. Nope. Not gonna happen. Nope. This time she'll be in Uggs. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like my character in this movie, in Pete's Dragon, she's she's a forest ranger right. and she's dressed appropriately right. for the forest because she was prepared to go in the forest, as opposed to Claire, who was a C level executive and had corporate attire. Right. Okay, gotcha. so Grace in Pete's Dragon is prepared. She's prepared. I she's gotcha. wearing boots. All she's right. very sensitive. All right, well, Br- uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Pete's Dragon out next weekend, yes. correct? August 12th. We are super excited.
3: Come on, Bryce, stop. Stop taunting us. We really want to hear what that film title is. It's out there somewhere. Hopefully, we get to hear what it is soon. And uh, you can definitely hear her frustration in that, that stupid heel controversy. Come on. Can we ask her something else? You know, unfortunately, I have a feeling that's going to follow her around for a long time. But um, if you want to check out the video, I'll leave a link in our show notes to the video on BDH Network's YouTube.
1: Brought to you by Mattel Toymakers. Mattel <laughs> You can tell her Mattel, there's swell.
3: We've recently partnered up with friend of the podcast, Aaron Beyer, to create a great opportunity to let Mattel know how much the Jurassic Toy Line means to us. We're putting together a video, complete with members of the Jurassic community, to show our love for the past toy lines. All you need to do is film a 20-second video with your phone, congratulate Mattel on obtaining the Jurassic license, and let them know how much this Jurassic toy line means to you. Keep it clean, and remember, do not bash any prior toy manufacturers. We have a few rules on our website, so find the post on jurassicparkpodcast.com for more information. We'll be accepting video submissions until August 15th. We'd love to see you join in.
1: You can tell it's Mattel. It's swell.
3: Thanks for listening to the 62nd episode of the Jurassic Park Podcast. Of course, I want to thank all the listeners who sent in emails, MP3s, or voicemails this week. Kat, Jeff, Sickleclaw, Justice Steel, Wyatt, Silvio, and Paul. You're all super awesome, and I'm lucky to have you as listeners. Don't forget to submit a video for our Mattel project. It's going to be great to give them a congrats and let them know how much these toys mean to us. I really can't wait to see what you guys send in. If you want to interact with us, we do most of our work over on Twitter, at Jurassic Park Pod. We're also on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Jurassic Park Podcast. And our Instagram handle is at Jurassic Park Podcast. You can listen to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Podomatic, YouTube, or our website, and especially wherever else podcasts are found. So make sure to subscribe to automatically get new episodes every week. If you haven't already, please give us a five star review on iTunes or a great review wherever you listen to the podcast. It will seriously help our rankings and make it easier for fans like you to find us. We're usually spotted commenting on the Jurassic Park subreddit as Jurassic Park Podcast. Don't forget to check out JurassicParkPodcast.com for all the links you heard here today. If you want to get a hold of us, you can email us with any news stories, MP3s, segment ideas, top fives, or comments to JurassicParkPod at gmail.com. Or you can submit them directly to our website contact form. If you'd like to record something for the show, send it in to us and we'll feature it in an upcoming episode. If you don't have any way to record, you can give our voicemail line a call and leave us a message. That number is 732 732- Thanks for listening and enjoy.
1: Five minutes. Drop what you're doing and leave now.